0: Uh, Thanks for all your comments on last week's podcast with Catherine Graves. Hope you enjoyed it. Have you seen uh, Rebirth yet on Netflix? Go and check that out. Also, my new book, Mentors, is available to pre-order. Go to Russellbrand.com to get details. It's about mentorship, really, and how you can transition from one aspect or mm, period of your life to another using guides available to you. This week, I'm joined by one of my mentors, Radhanath Swami, a shaman a priest who like if you go and see him in mumbai where his temple is there's hundreds of thousands of followers uh we talk about shamanism the priest the Swami swamian culture we know we did this live so it's a bit mental we were live in a uh sort of a bar in wicklow it was absolutely insane also he's a priest and a swami so sometimes he does these sort of long pauses while a, presumably while consciousness of krishna or god in whatever format comes channeling through his head god love him because i do love him so that's fascinating um so yeah bear that in mind when you're listening it's a beautiful episode he's a great teacher and i i hope you get a lot from it let me know what you think uh but you can tweet me at rusty rockets uh with the hashtag under the skin or follow me on instagram at true russell brand true is spelled t-r-e-w and tag me in your instagram stories to tell me what you thought of this week's episode coogan's coming up the great steve coogan imagine that alan partridge it's just you know, i'm gonna ask him i'm gonna ask him just be alan partridge for a bit and i'll because i've always wanted to hang out with alan partridge so just be alan partridge and hang out with me and then that's happening now and i'll be happy all right so i hope you enjoy this episode i love you <laughs> see you on the other side Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful yes, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. Radhanath Swami, welcome to Under the skin you and i have known each other for a long time now i can recall our first ever meeting but i don't believe i've ever had the privilege of interviewing you on air it's for me the reason i'm interested in your teachings and the manner that you approach spirituality is because you have selected a very particular devotion or path but as the introduction made clear you are open to many religious ideas at this time of polarization and conflict, what is the necessity for spirituality, which is, you know, seems to me quite evident, and perhaps more importantly, how do we reintroduce spirituality into the public discourse? Russell, you're,
1: the way you ask questions includes the answers.
0: Yes. <laughs> I learned that at school.
1: In the Vedic literatures, there's a beautiful phrase, Sarah grahi. that one who's truly on the spiritual path is seeking the essence, the essence of life. What is true happiness? In order to understand happiness, it, it's necessary that we understand who we are. We have this body. We're seeing through our eyes. We're hearing through our ears. We're tasting through our tongue. We're thinking through our mind. We're loving through our heart. But who is that I? And the essence of all great spiritual paths that I've studied throughout my life is that there is a spirit. There is what in Sanskrit is atma, in English sometimes called the soul which is the living force, who I really am. Dehinos minyata dehi komaram We're little babies, and we're witnessing life in that body. Then we grow to adolescence, adulthood. We start getting older and older. But that witness is me. The body changes, and the mindset really changes. When you're a little baby, you're longing for the milk of your mother. When was the last time we have done that? We have so many ideas. Grow up. So mentally, intellectually, physically, we go through so many changes. But who am I? I am that spiritual force. And in all the great theistic religions, that spirit is a part of God. And the greatest potential of our true self is to love. Our countless desires, our fleeting gratification, insatiable longings, and inevitable frustrations, they all arise from a single origin that we have forgotten the love that is within ourselves. In India, there is an analogy of the Himalayan musk deer. This particular deer has a gland. The gland grows and grows, and when it becomes mature, it releases one of the most precious fragrances of the world, musk. It spreads in all directions from that gland of the deer. And the deer, so attracted to it, is searching throughout its life, through the forests, through the fields, trying to find what's actually within himself. And that's very much what life is about in this world. We're all trying to find happiness. We're trying to find peace. And the essence of happiness and peace is in love. If you give a child adequate clothing, but inadequate love, she'll look lovely, but she'll live in misery. Ultimately, things could give some gratification to the mind and senses, but only love To give love and to receive love gives fulfillment to the heart. And that's universal. Why is that? Because the nature of the true self is to be an instrument of divine love. And every great religion in the world, when we understand its essence, it's to awaken that love. It's beyond all sectarian conceptions. There's different historical... Um, settings, there's different languages, different types of rituals, but they're all meant to reconnect us to that immortal love that is our true nature.
0: Evidently, there are certain perennial truths that are that recur throughout, as you have said, uh, theistic traditions. However, there is a competing narrative, and that competing narrative, even in what I would describe as the post-secular world, meaning that secularism has to a degree reached a kind of conclusion, and we recognise that the reintroduction of some kind of spirituality is a requirement. There is still a sense that what you are describing as the innate longing for God, an inhered quality, uh, a need to love, that. that That this can be mm, somehow explained away scientifically. Now, I don't believe that a sort of a nostalgic or retrograde perspective of spirituality can succeed. I don't, the the famous maxim you can't solve 21st century problems with, you know, 20th century ideas. And my concern with uh, the great traditions. Is that uh, it's not even a problem of semantics. I don't think this is a problem of language. I think it is a problem that doesn't take into account the kind of technological and scientific progress of the last century and perhaps even the last 50 years in particular. That I think that, you know, I deliberately now talk to atheists whenever I. Can usually though, you're, um, you know, many of whom I sort of respect and agree with on a, a, a great deal. You know, you can't. You know, it's knowledge is important. You know, as much as faith is important, knowledge is important. But usually, you'll find some latent ideology some sort of code you know how does humanitarianism resource itself you know if you're an atheist but you believe that human beings should be kind and be loving to one another that's an indication that uh, of you know divinity has re-entered the conversation at that point otherwise nihilism is the only alternative life doesn't matter human beings don't matter the role of the human being is not significant you know so but my sense is, Swami Swamiji, that at this time, it's going to be difficult for people to relinquish the powerful hold that materialism, consumerism, and the ideas of our time have on certainly many Western people. I know you live in India, and your temple is in India. So you are part of a different mindset, even though you are an American man, born in Chicago. Check out the book if you want to. Um, You know, in these kind of countries, we're in Ireland now. I live primarily in England. It's difficult to reintroduce, you know, and and Ireland in particular. If you start telling people, oh, the answer's going to be, you know, religion, faith in higher power, a lot of people are going to say, yeah, we had a go at that. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) it it didn't work out too well for us. Uh, You know, how are we going to talk to people that have been, uh, you know, in some cases physically abused, but broadly speaking, jaded by faith? how are we going to reintroduce them you know and i don't think it's simply by be, by recognizing the somewhat psychotherapeutic idea that there is a witness to your thoughts i think all of us can agree that there is a thinker that there is a witness when you think oh, i have you know i've got issues around gender or i am lonely whatever it is you're thinking who is observing these thoughts we all recognize there is a seed a root a witness to conscious activity but how are we going to invite people to organise their lives around these ideas when people sense that it's leading back to sort of candelabras, uh, pageantry, vestries and pedophilia. That's just an interesting way of... That's, just, that's rhetoric, is what you just witnessed. Don't be freaked out. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry that the last word was pedophilia. I could have put the candelabra at the end. It's a less offensive image. My observation
1: is all those things are taking place where there's no religion. Mm. So it's not about religion. It's about what is our, what is our character? What is our purpose? You know, we find terrible cruelty in so many varieties in the name of God
0: throughout history,
1: and also in the name of total atheism.
0: Well, like Marxism and Stalin, for example. Well,
1: there's, there's saintly people in great religions. For those who understand, you know, what really is the purpose, what is the essence in the Bible? It is said that the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? And what is the testimony and also the process by which we can reach that love of God? To love your neighbor as yourself. And everyone is our neighbor. The Bhagavad Gita speaks the same principle, a beautiful verse. Can I say the Sanskrit? Vidyavanaya Sampani, Brahmani Gavihastini, suni jaiva svapakija pandita samadarshana. That true wisdom is not how much data we store in our brains. True wisdom is the capacity to see all living beings with equal vision. Whether one is white or black or red or yellow or brown, whether one is male or female, whether one is an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Jain, a Sikh, a Parsi, a Buddhist. The Gita extends it to whether one is a human, or a dog, or a cat, or a cow, or an elephant. Wherever there is life, it is sacred. If we love God we can't not love God's children. We may not like what they do, but when we understand our and our own connection to the divine, then we could recognize the divine within life itself, wherever it may be. And that's religion. And that's beautiful. It brings about. The spirit of true compassion. If there isn't that type of equal vision, if there isn't that type of compassion that's growing within our hearts, then our spiritual path is simply an external, superficial, material idea. An envelope in itself is not worth much, but when the it's the message in the envelope that has value. So all of our spiritual rituals, our meditations, our religious affiliations are like an envelope that's, that helps us to actually reach a destination. But what's all important is what is our motive? What is our purpose? Is it to be an instrument of love, an instrument of compassion, an instrument of peace in this world, to see all living beings with equal vision? That's the criteria that we're actually spiritually connected. And this, I found in my search throughout the 67 years of my life, is the true purpose not only of yoga, religion, but life.
0: How these principles brought to bear on the organisation of systems, social systems. This is what interests me, because in the last sort of hundred years or so, religion has become sort of personally sequestered. I'm sure every time, like you know, you and I speak about the importance of divinity, I'm sure there's some people in the room that think, yes, yes, this is true, and I'm sure there's other people that think, no, that's not my experience, even though you and I would. Pledge that this is a sort of a universal idea that love is within us all, that we all want to feel connected. These sort of, you know, for me seem like pretty basic truths. Even if we accept that, for the last sort of hundred years or so, it's been uh, the broad understanding is that the the connection that you have with the divine, the connection that you have with truth, is something that you pursue in private. That it isn't, you know, obviously the dominant or the defining principle of secularism is the separation of church and state. The, The religious life of the people, the religious life of the individual is conducted separately from political life. The religion and power are best kept apart. So even if we were to take as true the things that we're saying you know are oh, to bloody contradicting my opinion oh you know be nice to one another be kind what's the point we're all going to die you know these aren't for me aren't complex ideas you know are they you know it's not we're not saying we're not saying anything unusual if you ask me right how does this transpose into the organisation of systems and here radhanat swami i am asking in particular about the i mean i don't want to call them social experiments because it sounds like that might they might be wacky a social experiment sounds like an odd thing that a mouse might have to do with an ear on its back <laughs> i refer more to your eco village uh, just north of mumbai uh, how do you put these principles of you know krishna consciousness it's like your uh, you know uh, student or devotee of Prabhupada and of Krishna, but that you have communities are being organized, ashrams, eco-villages around these principles. Tell me what like daily life is like in an eco-village, see if it's something we can replicate if we were able to overthrow some governments if we had the energy.
1: You don't know what it's like sitting on stage with Russell Brown. (laughs) It was really nice standing in the back there.
0: <laughs>
1: The principle of our eco-village is we need a foundation to build our life on. It's like this building. You don't see the foundation, but it holds up everything that's built upon it. So the foundation principle of our eco-village is that everything is sacred if we see its connection with the divine and we utilize it appropriately. The difference between material and spiritual is not the thing. It's the consciousness in in which we perceive it and we utilize it. An example, a knife. Is a knife good or bad? If a knife is in the hands of a thief, it will be used to kill someone. If that same knife is in the hands of a surgeon, it will be utilized to save a person's life. So spiritual is when we understand that everything within creation is potentially spiritual. It's all coming from the same source. And every living being is coming from the same source. And yoga means to reconnect. And the Latin word religio, which religion is coming from, it means to bind one back. Yoga and religion mean exactly the same thing. It doesn't mean a particular sectarian affiliation. It means a science, a culture, a lifestyle that helps to reconnect us to our true source and to see everything in relation to that source. So if everything in the world is God's property and everyone in the world is God's children, then we don't utilize things for our own greed or exploitation. We have some sense of honor and respect. So the earth is sacred property. In common language, we often say Mother Earth. And she's our mother because we're all completely dependent upon her, like a little infant child is dependent on mother, whether we're billionaires or political leaders or scholars or farmers, whatever our role may be, we are completely dependent on the air, the water, the fruits, the vegetables, the grains that is supplied by Mother Earth. So for us, it's an inseparable part of our spiritual path to live in harmony with Mother Earth. We take from her we don't reciprocate by giving pollution. We take from her and we give back something that's nourishing for her. That's possible. It's been the way people have lived, you know since time immemorial. So our eco village is interesting because We have people who have PhDs in science and engineering in various subjects from some of the leading universities in the world, Oxford, Harvard, Princeton. And they're hand-in-hand serving together with simple villagers. Because they recognize and appreciate what each has to offer to each other i mean for the for the betterment of the village and for the world we're trying to show a model of what's possible in the area of maharashtra we are one of the greatest problems is drought because it rains for four months. And then, generally, there's not a drop of rain for the next eight months. It's one of the highest rates of suicide in India is the farmers in their area, because they just can't make a living. So simple, traditional techniques harmonized with modern scientific development We've created water harvesting, where we can water all of our fields and keep plenty of water in our homes for all purposes throughout the year just by learning the science of keeping the water, because we understand that water is sacred. We don't take it for granted. It's a philosophy of life. We've made about 500,000 bricks where our, our, our homes are made out of, out of the ground we walk on. To see the potential in what there is in life gives us a whole other dimension of how to live. We've learned from ancient sciences combined with modern techniques how to take these, the earth, and make them into compressed bricks. And they're supposed to last for 300 years. Of course, we've only had them for about a, 10 years. But they're beautiful. And the bricks are sun-dried. There's no um, baking them. So it's the lowest possible footprint in the ecology. And of course, natural pesticides, natural organic growing. We have a wonderful machine that takes plastic, and without the slightest pollution in the air, it transforms it into usable oil. And there are many, many such things like this, where we're giving examples to the villagers, and gradually people are coming from all over the world, of alternative ways we could live in this world that's in harmony with each other and harmony with nature.
0: Hmm. I get it. Now, you're, people will see now that these exchanges take place, it's not a snappy exchange. <laughs> I say a long thing, then you say a long thing. That's <laughs> my turn to say a long thing. Here comes my long thing. (laughs) I've been that village, that eco village. I stayed there with a mate. I tell you, it was bloody hard trying to get your hands on a cup of coffee. Someone had to get sent off to Mumbai. We don't have coffee here. We're too spiritual. Well, I'm not. Send someone off. I had one, didn't I? I Was the first person to have a coffee there. What uh, I felt like um, was important. I needed one. You know, there's only so much spirituality you can take, especially without caffeine, banging your head against the wall. And I tell you, even though those bricks are supposed to last 300 years, you give them a good head in, they start to show signs of strain. <laughs> now, <clears throat> what I liked about that uh, was uh, that really by altering your perception of uh, an object, uh, whether it's the earth or you know some sort of plant or a cow or whatever, by altering your perception, uh, everything can change. And I suppose what you're saying is unless we fundamentally alter our perspective, our I suppose we see ourselves, don't we, as being sort of separate from the world and that the world is a resource, you know, and as long as you have that perspective, oh, the world is this thing that I eat or have sex with or, you know, whatever it is, as long as you see it as being valuable only in the way that it's useful to you, then that's problematic. But as soon as you walk your consciousness and see the world as something that you respect... Then uh, there is a potential for change. I like too that there is a lot of technological advancement, that these are sort of to to a degree cutting edge technologies that are being utilized to create a different way of life. There's no reason, uh, when I'm to hear you talk about your village, that that uh, experiment couldn't be recreated elsewhere. Oh, we could live in communities of a couple hundred people, we could be uh, neutral or in fact benevolent to the world, that we could sort of uh, have permacultures and positive ways. Of living life, you know, but for me, the, to unpick the tapestry of materialistic living will take a lot of doing. I'm so used to you know, Sky TV, Premier League, Nike coming here in a car. You know, I mean, it's this embedded in us, it's deeply, deeply embedded in most of us. The material, the consumerist way of life is an easy one because it's predicated on sort of some very powerful agency within each individual desire is a strong force and whilst you have spoken most eloquently about the love that is ulterior perhaps to all desire desire in itself is very strong so it's very easy to establish economic and social models that are based on i want this i want that i am separate from the world i need to feel better from other people i don't think this is because of an individual malevolence within you know me or you or anybody i'm just saying that there are clearly energies within us that are easily magnetized by those kind of systems. Now, if we were to ever replace the kind of social systems that we currently live within that are based on giant monocultures, whether that's at the agricultural level or the economic level, where we toil under the tyranny of giant global brands. I don't mean like Russell Brand. (laughs) One you can surely trust. I mean international globe trotting entities that suck up the resources and energy of the people and the energy of the planet and they truly are international and don't pay tax nowhere we know you know (laughs) to change that mindset are you here's a big bundle of questions I'll boot your way like a giant tangled thicket do you think that this can really be changed by using a kind of spiritual technique that to someone of my age seems somewhat nostalgic we've had the 60s and the 70s and a cynic would say it didn't work you know like all those people in hey ashbury all those people in woodstock the grateful dead the beatles we saw what happened it got turned it got commodified and sold back to us The you know the great uh, english documentarian adam curtis In some of his brilliant storytelling films, has demonstrated wonderfully how the we can change the world of the 60s became I can do what I want by the 80s. Do you think that there is, um, that this, whilst you talk of universal truth, and adhered and perennial values, do you think that they can convey and reach an audience today? Do you think people are likely to put down the keys of their fancy cars to abandon their debt, their identities, the things that bond us and world us to reality, the reality in our minds, the reality of our bank accounts, even when it's negative, do you think that can be overcome? Do you think that the time of men in robes and chants and mantras, do you think that this can be effective again? In this time, with this cynicism, when we've seen through telescopes the limitless cosmos, when people are so willing to believe that there's nothing but space out there and nothing at all in here, do you think that these ideas can ever topple the great monoliths of our culture that seem to have us chained? Seems like a good place to stop as any. (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
1: because ultimately, in whatever language, in whatever context, whether it's through television, whether it's through um, even the highest technologies, If we have a transformation of our heart and we understand the necessity, spirituality is to transform greed into generosity, hate into love, arrogance into humility. When we value these principles, then... With compassion, we could speak scientific language. We could use scientific modern facilities. It's not the thing. It's the consciousness. And today, the world is being polarized. In the 60s, there was a polarization. I'm from that era, the 1960s. I grew up through my teenage years. In America, there was a Vietnam War. There was a civil rights movement. Things just didn't make sense. Every day, we would pledge allegiance to the flag of America. It was the law in every school. It concluded one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. But if you're a different color, if you're a different religion, if you're a different economic status, if you're a different species, <laughs> there was no real liberty. We saw this around. It was hypocrisy. And it was that type of polarization that kind of created the counterculture you were speaking about. And the counterculture was ex and rebelling. But some persons actually found something very deep and very truthful and their lives were transformed. To this day, that's what set me on my spiritual path. I saw so many things that just weren't right. Spirituality is not just rebelling. It's a type of inner revolution, trying to find true meaning. And ultimately, everyone is seeking that meaning. Therefore, there's ultimately always hope. Whether it is through higher education of these values of life that parents give children, that schools give children, that the society is giving value to, giving priority to, or whether we see things falling apart, things get so bad. Politicians are so arrogant. Politicians are so exploitative. Leaders of religion are exploitative and arrogant. When we see these things, it creates a polarization where thoughtful people could no longer sit on the fence of just kind of watching and letting it be. And I see this happening today. More and more people are seeing we have, either we're going to one side, just bearing our vision from what's really happening and becoming more greedy and exploitative, or people see that we have to make a change. And the change starts with ourselves. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. It's not about a sectarian concept. If more and more people are united in trying to be the change that we want to see in this world, We could change this world. Each and every one of us, beyond the plethora of life's distractions, each and every one of us is a unique vessel of God's love with the potential to recognize that love, to receive that love, and to give that love. That's what the heart is hungering for. If you're hungry, you need food. The problem in this world is not hunger of the stomach. It's hunger of the heart. People need meaning, fulfillment, and love. And when, when we share this purpose, and I see it's happening more and more and more because of the difficulties and troubles within the world, and we believe that love is a stronger force, ultimately, than hate. Compassion is a stronger force than complacency. And as long as we, as human beings, believe in that, we can each make a wonderful contribution in our life to the world.
0: Yes. But this is what I I, I mean, I obviously agree. My position is not, no! <laughs> My position is, yes. Um, but the challenge, uh, one challenge I fancy is that, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, when I talk listen to more sort of perhaps sceptical, perhaps even downright cynical people speaking about these issues, what they'll say is oh, no, 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 human beings have never been better off, you know, poverty is being eradicated, the average person used to live on this number of dollars, but now live on that number of dollars, and Is that people will say that you know? Look, we're all we're living here. We're living in the world, and sort of when you create a sort of an environment such as this one, where there's me with my buoyancy and enthusiasm, you with your serenity and decades deep into meditation and contemplation, and living in caves and like, 'cause I'd like to hear some of this stuff. You'll dig all this, you know, living in caves, eating a bloody teaspoon of rice a day meeting mother Teresa and the dalai lama and going on a big spiritual quest and having your hair in dreadlocks and all those kind of things and before meeting prabhupada and choosing that path and fighting off dogs with a stick and swimming about in the ganges and (laughs) all that kind of thing all that kind of hippie stuff you know the seeker stuff look you know you don't need to walk too far to come across people that don't they would say we would say have the privilege of like what some would term spiritual navel gazing, they are people like on their asses with drug addiction and grinding poverty and like in my country at the moment there's a sort of a lot of evident polar- political polarity around that can be I, I think best um, understood through the kind of anti-immigration anti-Islam right emergent right-wing white working class movements there's a real sort of sense of conflict around that And I intuitively sense that unless we can reach people that are in those heartlands, are sort of tangled in the arguments that are very sort of material, very, very visceral... You know, like, because I feel like what I don't want to be part of is some sort of little spiritual circle jerk where the people like us who already agree with this stuff all just get together and go, hey, why don't we just be nice to each other and plant a carrot? You know? <laughs> like, because we all mostly probably feel that to varying degrees. There might be someone in the audience, because we're doing this live with an audience, that might have come along, you know, with someone that... uh that likes me, and they sort of think, oh, him, you know. And they've come along, and they're thinking, oh, this sort of spiritual claptrap, you know. Unless we can somehow translate this into a language that's meaningful, you know, like we can't just keep passing around. You speak very eloquently, elegantly, and beautifully about spirituality, or, or I really enjoy listening to you. But like, I don't feel what my I query. I think back to Greys in Essex, where I'm from where I grew up, I think about Wicklow Town, County Wicklow, Ireland, where I'm staying at the moment. There's a lad there pumping his fist, he's come, so (laughs) at least we've got him. Let's not let him out of here till he shaves his head and starts chanting. How do we reach people? You know, you see people drunk on street corners. You see junkies. You see people shouting in rage. You see people that believe that the problem is other human beings. You know, that think, oh, well, it's because there's too many immigrants. Oh, there's too much this that aren't, you know, like I, I'm i from the kind of background that houses a lot of anti-immigration type feeling. And I have watched how in the last 20 years they have been failed by apparently left wing organizations, media organizations, left-wing parties. And I, to a degree, understand the anger that they feel whilst not agreeing with the targets that they have selected or perhaps had selected for them. Nonetheless, how do we intervene? Is it just through evangelism? How do we intervene? How do we interrupt this sort of, mm, potent march to the apocalypse. How do we break up this sort of thudding beat, this sort of fearful, dreadful sense that we're approaching something awful in sort of cracked and crazy America in an insane and broken, scattered Europe. This country I've recently learned with like these bizarre internment camps for migrants. You know, it's sort of the, the world over. The most vulnerable people are being punished by, you know, aided and abetted by the next most vulnerable people. Like one tier up. You know, people looking downwards for the problem. People not understanding that people with no power are never the problem. Only people with power are the problem. Or at least that's where the change needs to occur. How are we to... Convey these messages, which can sound mm, either esoteric, sometimes woo woo is a word that we hear a lot from like Dawkins and sort of you know the sort of the zealous atheists. How do we convey this language? What do you still feel optimistic that it can reach people? And I would like to see that optimism matched with pragmatism. It's like a hip hop battle. (laughs) (laughs) So it's much more gentle. Thank you.
1: <laughs> some years ago, I was giving a talk at a university in Mumbai. It was a college for accountants. And it was in an auditorium, about three, 400 people. And I spoke some of the things I'm speaking today. At the end of my talk, I made a mistake. I asked if there was any questions. (laughs) To ask an auditorium of Indian students if there's any questions, you have to be prepared. So one person raised his hand, and I said, yes. And As soon as he stood up, everyone in the room went, ooh. And I understood this man is very well-known, charismatic, and powerful person in this college. He sounds great. <laughs> he began to scream at me. He said, you are useless. You are a cheater. You are a hypocrite. Everything you say, I completely reject. And he went on and on. I was standing alone. I didn't have Russell with me. And in the very end of his um, attack, he said, what if everyone in the world became a swami like you? Who would do the banking? Who would grow the food? Who would run the governments? Therefore, you are a cheater, and I reject you. He got a standing ovation. For about five minutes, people were standing, clapping and howling in favour of him. I only went to one
0: semester of a
1: junior college, so it wasn't my arena.
0: Did you feel very rejected and upset in that moment? Because I've played some tough gigs. (laughs) And I don't like it. I'm not able to go, this will soon pass and you'll be back in a situation where everyone loves you. Or, God is love and this will all resolve. I think, you bastards! I'll kill you! How did you feel? Did your tummy feel okay? I felt kind of like what you just said. <laughs>
1: I said a little prayer, and then I spoke. Would you like to hear what I replied? I said, dear sir, what if everybody in the world became an accountant like you? (laughs) Who would do the banking? Who would grow the food? Who would run the governments? Who would raise the children? If everyone in the world became an accountant like you, the entire world would have 100% unemployment because there'd be no need for accountants. <laughs> I presented the analogy of the human body. Within our body, we have different organs, different limbs, and there are, many of them are different colors. They're different shapes. And they have very different functions. The heart cannot do what the pancreas does. And the pancreas cannot do what the brain does. And the brain cannot do what the kidneys do. And the kidneys cannot do what the knees do. What is a healthy body? When each organ of recognizes and appreciates the contribution that everyone else is doing. If you hit your little toe against a rock, every single part of your body is trying to send energy to that little toe. That's a healthy human body. When we all recognize and appreciate what we can contribute. And we have a common cause. Within this body, the common cause is Everyone is there to help each other because it's the only way to have a healthy body. So similarly, we need doctors. We need lawyers. We need farmers. We need politicians. We need bankers. We need accountants. And there's also some use for little swamis like me. We're all contributing something for a common cause. And that's what Is missing. The common unifying cause and purpose. If I hurt anyone, I'm hurting myself. And I'm hurting the world. It's not about size and quantity, it's about our intention. So, yes, you know, the world is very much. In disarray in so many ways, but we can make a difference. Scientists, if they have a unifying higher purpose in their life, educators, politicians, swamis, and especially comedians, entertainers, musicians, before tonight's event, we were talking, and you were talking about George Harrison. He's He was a friend of my best friend, Jam Sundar, who's very close to you also. You know, he took a spiritual purpose in his life and he presented it through his music. Once George came to our Guru Prabhupada and asked if he should shave his head and move into a temple. And Prabhupada said, you're a musician. There's no need for you to change your dress or change your occupation. Just try to enlighten people through what you do. And he did. (laughs) He reached millions of hearts. I know scientists. I know business people. I know entertainers. And they're trying to do what they can. I also know simple monks. I know farmers, villagers, professors. If we have a common cause, a higher cause, to enlighten people, to be an instrument of compassion, paratukaduki, humanity from a spiritual perspective, It's not based on what affiliated sectarian concepts we believe. Humanity is actually advancing to the degree that we see another person's suffering as my own suffering, and another person's happiness as our own happiness. If we believe in that, we can cultivate that through our prayer, through our meditation, In my tradition, we chant this beautiful mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Hare Hare. It's It's a divine sound vibration that's not sectarian. It's simply meant to awaken that divine nature that's within us, to awaken that compassionate spirit that's within us. And whatever name of God, whatever prayer, whatever meditation we have, if that's our purpose, there's four very important spiritual principles in our tradition. Satsang, to be with like-minded people, to enthuse each other, inspire each other for a higher purpose, to protect each other from all the Innumerable distractions that there are there towards superficial um, pursuits. And then there's sadhana. To put some time aside every day for our spiritual practice. Whatever it may be. And then sadachar. To live with character. and seva, to understand whatever intelligence we have, whatever abilities we have, whatever property or wealth we have, the real fulfillment of our life and our heart is how we utilize that in compassion for others, for the pleasure of the Supreme. That is seva. And we could all do it. We all have a great potential. I spoke these things at that college. And when I finished, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this, but I got a louder and longer standing (laughs) ovation than he did. And the person who asked the question, do you know what he did? He was still standing in front of everyone.
0: He went. <laughs> it's a nice story, isn't it? I was thinking, is it going to come back to that accountant? Gonna... I hope we've not heard the last of that guy. He's plucky. Thank you. Now, some of that I am glad that you described those four principles at the end because much of what we have talked about perhaps needs to be experienced to be appreciated and understood. You know, in a minute this podcast will conclude. We'll have to go back to our lives. I, for example, am a lumberjack. <laughs> no, we'll have to go back to our normal lives and, uh, such as they are. I mean, I know this will be your normal life. That's one of the good things about being a swami. This is it. You don't have to go off and do another thing. (laughs) He'll just go off and say this stuff to someone else in a minute. He'll be in another room going, saying all stuff about God and that. Me? Oh, I've got to go and put a hat on. No, I'll be doing more of this. Swami, the word Swami means he that is with himself. I like that idea, to be with yourself, you know, and to recognise the limitlessness of that. That's good. Uh, So you just described those four principles... Serving people. I got that one. Spend a bit of time alone with God. Hang out with other people that are a bit like you. What was the other one? I've missed one. Character. Character. That's probably the one I need to work on then, is it? <laughs> I saw that. I see that look. So you think that, uh, that we can achieve or realise uh, these states... Through, Because a lot of people would say, oh, I know the answer. It's ayahuasca, DMT, LSD. But you think uh, that you can achieve these states, a kind of state of oneness, experientially, not just like, you know, I read in a book, we should all be nice to each other. Well, that's all nice and dandy. What I want is to feel the cosmos flooding right through my brain and guts so that my body pops into the great abyss and I'm carried by limitless oceans of love. And... Previously, the only way I found of doing that was cracking heroin. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, there's consequences. (laughs) So, do you think that through this dressing up and singing songs, (laughs) do you think through chanting and devotional practice that people can experience these states? And if so, because obviously you do, because otherwise, you know, why would you be doing this? Uh, What should we do? And can we have a demo? <laughs> I'm, not,
1: I'm not used to this kind of discussion. <laughs>
0: well, you get used to
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> The mind is like a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, you. Expect to see yourself. If the mirror is covered by layers and layers of dust and dirt and pollution, what do you see? You see dust and dirt and pollution, and you think this is me. Yoga, religion, spirituality is a Process, it's a science, it's a culture, it's a lifestyle where we clean the mirror of the mind. And gradually we have direct experience of our true divine nature. And as we perceive that, we can perceive that we're a part of God, that love of God cannot be separated from loving all living beings. That's the potential within all of us. It simply has to be uncovered. So, Russell, I hate to say this, but I forgot your question. (laughs) I'm
0: not surprised, it was about an hour ago. I was saying like give so, us a little so, demo. So you know. be, so, Don't be silly. bring no, no, back to that accountant. No, I'm the, nicer than him.
1: The, the question took about an hour or two.
0: <laughs> Could have watched the Godfather <laughs> still caught the end of the question. Um We'll do, do you want to do a, chant, a bit of chanting or something? There's a live audience here. This will be mostly experienced as a podcast, but it'll be good perhaps to uh, do a bit of chanting. People might join in, see what it does to people's heads.
1: Would you like to chant? <laughs>
0: Get these Catholics rocking while the Pope's in town. <laughs>
1: There are many mantras. Man means the mind, and trayate, or tra, means to cleanse, to free, to free the mind from the misconceptions, the misconceptions of just, I am this body, and I am all the designations of this body, and this is all mine. Hmm. What really is the ego? Our true ego is we're beyond birth, we're beyond death. We're life, we're a part of God, we're a lover of God. That's who we are. But somehow or other, when we forget that, when we neglect that, then we cling to all these superficialities of I'm a man and I'm a woman and I'm this color or that color or this religion or this nationality or this species. And we're trying to find love. We're trying to find the pleasure of love in all these superficial, fleeting experiences of life. And it's because we're unsatisfied that there's greed, that there's hate.
0: not my
1: phone it's Jenny's
0: mum answer Jenny's mum no good it's probably for the best (laughs) Jenny's mum's put up with enough e.g. Jenny (laughs) come on do us some bloody chanting never mind all this love Let's transcend to another dimension. (laughs) So this, uh, there are many
1: mantras, there are many names of God, there are many types of prayers that are meant to actually awaken our true potential. In our tradition, there's a maha mantra. I'll teach you. It's 32 syllables and 16 words. Everyone please repeat Hare. Hare
0: Krishna Krishna Hare Hare
1: Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Rama, Rama. Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama 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 Hare. Rama Rama Hare
0: Hare Hare. Hare. Would you like to sing it? Yeah, what have you into, man?
1: <laughs> Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Everyone could clap. Krishna Krishna Hare Hare hari Rama! hari Rama! Rama Rama! Hare Hare! Hare
0: Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna Krishna, Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama Rama, Rama, Hare, Hare. Hardy
1: Krishna, Hardy Krishna, 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 Hardy, Hardy. Hari Rama, Hardy Rama, 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 Hardy, Hardy.
0: Hardy Krishna. Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.
1: Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Thanks, well done.
0: (laughs) I think we were all worried that there was no natural out. (laughs) (laughs) Radhanath Swami, thank you very much for joining me on Under the Skin. Radhanath Swami everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, Did you learn stuff? You feel a bit more spiritual now? I hope so. Use that spirituality to go and watch me on Netflix um, with my special Rebirth. Also, please subscribe to this podcast, get other people watching it, communicate with me if you want. If you've got any questions for Coogan, email me at hello at Russell Brand or any russellbrand.com. You can email me there if you want to chat to me or you can reach me on social media, of course. On Twitter, I'm at Rusty Rockets, hashtag under the skin. Follow me on Instagram at True Russell Brand, as in the trues. Remember all that chaos? And tag me in your Instagram stories to tell me what you thought of this week's episode. I'd love to know. i love your feedback. All right. Love you. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.